welcome to Counterpressed on The Ringer and Spotify. It's Monday, we're in the studio. Kate Longhurst is back. It's been a while, Kate. Woo-hoo-hoo. Jesse Bug Humphreys and producer Becky are also here. Before we get on to any of the weekend's football, Kate, we've got to talk about Soccer AM because we had Jilly on last weekend. We talked about that. She did a pretty good go at um, the challenge, but she missed a penalty on the big stage and was absolutely gutted about it. A week after that, we've got another counter-pressed appearance. You and your West Ham teammates are on a little fun segment, but you missed two free headers, Kate. Talk us through it. Yeah, well, it's down to the serve. Danny Bowman can't serve for me. For d- to do a diving header, you can't throw it above me. <laughs> I had to literally jump and like use all of my neck muscles. I can't believe you're blaming not very your many. teammate. That's shocking, baby. Well, you. she's a coach, so I can blame the coach. <laughs> Um, Take some yeah, responsibility, okay, Come on. I score headers when it matters. Did you have a word with her afterwards about the service? Yeah, I did. Or... No, I had a word with her at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so you embarrassed me on national television. Yeah. Uh, who were you doing it with on this little thing? Uh, it was only against Jimmy Bullard. And how did he do? Well, he scored three goals. I scored three goals. But his diving header counted as two goals. So uh... he won 4-3. Why did his diving header count? Because they made a rule, which I didn't even realise until after, that um, (laughs) if you score the diving header, it's worth two points. So I would have gone all out for it otherwise. Mm -hmm. Why didn't you go all out for it in the first place? (laughs) 1.19. I thought I had it easy. Well, two, I guess, decent appearances from the counter-press team on Soccer AM. Was it? I don't know if you really did that good. <laughs> well, you know, I'm not a striker, am I? It's true. It's so, true. Yeah, but neither is so. Jilly. <laughs> yeah, and she missed her penalty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true, true. Uh, well, that is the entertainment portion of the show. Oh, done you know. business. Sorry. <laughs> done. No more laughs. <laughs> uh, but on today's show, we're obviously going to talk about the Arnold Clark Cup. England are two thirds of the way through defending their honourable title. We're also going to be chatting about the She Believes Cup. USA and Canada's show of support and also briefly touch on the Matildas. That's all coming up after this. So England are two wins from two, two quite different games as well. That 4-0 win over over South Korea on Thursday night and then that 2-1 victory over Italy on Sunday afternoon. But... The Sunday game was a little bit of a strange one. Maybe not the most convincing performance. Serena Vigna made, made nine changes. A much younger, more inexperienced team. And Jesse, it that match on Sunday kind of played out exactly how you would expect with a team that hasn't played together that much and with a team that had made a lot of changes. Yeah, I think it was... I think generally it was like quite a bright performance. I think for quite a few of the players who came in, they like looked impressive. I thought Jess Park was good. I thought Katie Robinson looked good. Um, I thought Neve Charles had a really good game as well. Um, and some of those players, you know, in positions that are not necessarily super familiar with, like we don't really see Jess Park playing as a 10 that often, but um, I thought it really suited her. Uh, but yeah, obviously, like it was nowhere near England's first choice team. And that's kind of what you want this tournament to offer, right? To give the opportunity for players to get minutes um, so Wiegmann can see them in situ uh, and have players prepped if they do need to come in, if there are injuries or anything like that. But I mean, I think it's testament also to the England side that they still got the win regardless. I think that also says a lot about kind of the mentality of the team and, and maybe a bit about the opponents as well. Like Italy aren't setting the world alight at the moment, but in some ways it did remind me of that kind of nil-nil against Spain where you had this massively changed team and everyone was kind of a bit cautious 
um, last year, whereas this year it felt like it, when England conceded, they were like, oh no, we still want to go and, and win this game. And, you know, obviously the changes, the subs that were brought on kind of reflected that. Um, but yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was a fun game. Yeah, I mean, it was still... And that's still, what the Arnold Clark Cup's for. That's exactly what it's for. It was still enjoyable. And also, I think it's nice to have a bit of jeopardy for, for England to kind of have backs against the wall, especially in a tournament that going into it, everyone looked at that, those games and thought, right, all three could be really convincing, quite straightforward wins for England. So it's probably quite nice to have a bit of a challenge, especially for the younger players. Kate, there were certainly a few moments defensively where England looked a little bit shaky and that's not really surprising given the changes across the back line, including Ellie Roebuck, who hasn't started for England in a while and looked a little bit rocky. Um, What did you make of England's performance, especially that back line? Yeah, like you say, it was a lot of changes. So I think one of the most consistent positions on the pitch you want is your defence and your goalkeeper because just for confidence, communication, knowing how each other work. I think we looked a little bit vulnerable on the counter-attack, especially early on. Um, But you look individually, they're players that could maybe step into the team and start and obviously Alex Greenwood has got a lot of um, experience. But yeah, I think it clearly is England's so-called second 11 and you can see the squad depth there um but I think there will be some concerns in terms of how open they were at times um with Ellie Roebuck it could just be a confidence thing a nervousness thing because she's got to try and impress obviously Mary Earps came in and did really well and has made that position her own and rightly so um but before the World Cup I would have said probably Ellie Roebuck was slightly ahead of Mary Earps so I think for her it's like she's got to take her opportunity and sometimes that can actually put more pressure on you than what's needed um on the whole though I thought they did well but it's just it is just fine-tuning those little moments Jesse you touched on the on the changes and what Serena Vivian's been looking to do in the past and what she's been doing with this tournament but do you feel like heading into the World Cup she knows her best 11 because I feel like she's experimenting now more than we have seen her do in the past. And I th- I think we both felt in the Thursday game against Korea, we felt like this is probably quite close to the team we'd expect to see start at the World Cup. And then Sunday was a real flip reverse. It was almost like, right, let's give these squad players a run out and see what they can do. But Serena Veeman's never really been that sort of manager. So do you think she's doing that because she's still trying to work out what that best 11 is? Or do you think it's about, right, let me just see the whole squad and see who might make the plane? Yeah, I definitely think the last Arnold Clark Cup and the lead up to the Euros, Wiegmann was a lot more like, I need to get my starting 11 playing together. And, you know, we saw at the Euros how she is a manager who wants to use the same starting 11 for every single game. And I think broadly for the World Cup, she probably already knows who those players are going to be. I don't think it's going to differ that much from the Euros, although, you know, potentially with stuff like Beth Mead's injury, there might be some kind of notable exceptions around that. Um, but I still think there are things up for grabs and I think you could see her kind of testing that out. I think, you know, the potential battle between Rachel Daly and Alessia Russo to be the starting nine could be really interesting um, because I think Daly offers something very different and potentially more Ellen Whitey, um, <laughs> the technical term. There. <laughs> uh, but, and you know, like we, we saw Beekman really want to rely on Ellen White, even if she wasn't like producing in the same way that maybe she had in the past at the Euros. Um, But yeah, I think I also think there's a kind of reality whereby Wiegemann was coming into a system with quite a short period of time and she kind of had the players in front of her. But now I think what we're seeing her do is really explore like 
all of English players a lot more and, and seeing, you know, different players come in and, and be experimented with, whether it's um, looking at someone like Katie Robinson, who I feel like you just wouldn't have seen her in the England squad, like obviously because, you know, she had her ACL and she was younger, but, you know, like even that like profile of player who, who maybe wasn't as well established, Laura Coombs as well. I think all of it shows that, you know, she's expanded, I think, the pool of players she's looking at rather than maybe in the past um, year or so kind of having relied on the players who'd already traditionally been in that setup. And I think that's that's making her maybe more willing to experiment because she's identified these players herself. Yeah, I think in the past as well, when you talk to a lot of ex-England players, a lot of them who drifted out of the squad have always felt frustrated because they felt like there's always a certain type of player that will get picked for England regardless of club form. And I feel like Serena Moon, like you said, has really broadened the net and said, I will be keeping an eye on you regardless of who you play for, whether it's Brighton or whether it's Arsenal, and you could be within within a chance. I mean, I think that, that first will... goal, a Brighton player assisting a Villa player as well, that just feels like worlds away from England squads where... It was just Man City players. <laughs> yeah, know? and that strength and depth they touched on a lot. Annie Luco spoke about a lot on the coverage on Sunday. The difference between what a strong WSL and how that impacts England and what Italy are going through, which is very much like the league is in a growth mode with a few teams investing heavily and trying to kind of grow everything that way. But Kate, I want to touch on the Russo Daly kind of conversation because you've played against Alicia Russo, you've played with Rachel Daly. Who would be your preferred number nine if you were Srini Vigman? Or would you play both of them together? I feel like there is probably an acceptance that that's unlikely. But right now, given how we've seen both of them perform for England over the last couple of days, but also across you know the last couple of years in which Daly's obviously been using a more defensive role, but who would you go for in that number nine right now? That's a really difficult question. <laughs> I think they are... So different, but also cause chaos within a defence. Um, Rachel Daly's quick, strong, powerful, creates a lot of chances from her movement in the box. I think that's underrated in terms of her actual movement. You look Especially even, that header yesterday in between say, those two players. You look for the header. All right, it looks like it's, it, it's, a, it's a great delivery, but you've got to find the space to get away from a player. Um, but Alessia Russo is probably more clinical. But I think on form at the moment, you'd argue Rach Daly's probably more informed than her. So I think it's a really good dilemma to have. But I also think Beth England, we can't rule her out. I think if she carries on the way she's been going as well, there's a chance that she could get in the squad for the World Cup as well. Maybe not as a starter, um, but I think it's it's three really good options. I think now that Ellen White has retired, it does open up a space for Rach Daly to kind of be in a more natural position. As, as good as she's been at fullback, you can see there are slight weaknesses there. I think she got exposed against the better teams at times. I think it was Spain where yeah. she got put on her ass. <laughs> um, <laughs> to say the least, <laughs> to put it bluntly. But yeah, she's done she's term. done so well there. Um but I just think going forward, you know, she's so aggressive. Mm. She will make sure she gets the ball first. She's clever at winning fouls, so she might draw opposition into getting penalties. Um if I, if I have to say one, I say Alessia Russo, but I do think on form Rach Daly, so I am literally sitting so, on the fence. <laughs> yeah, that's not an answer. <laughs> Jesse, what do you think? Um, I don't know. I think what's interesting is I feel like what's really clear is as much as looking for players in their position, 
Wiegmann has always been looking for players that she will trust regardless. I think you see that with the way Leah Williamson has been kind of alternately used in midfield or defence. Obviously, you know, Wiegmann loves her, she's her captain, etc. But like equally with Rachel Daly, I think it was as much about having her on the pitch and where she would fit. And that's almost why she was at left back because, you know, in Alex Greenwood and Demi Stokes, there were two perfectly good left backs there who I think within that Euros team would have probably performed to as reasonable a level as Rachel Daly did because she's not a natural left back. Um, And I wonder if that would potentially give Daly the edge just because as fantastic as Russo was during the Euros, I'm still not quite sure. Uh, Maybe we'll see over um, the other couple of friendlies in the build-up to to the World Cup um, whether Russo inspires that level of like confidence in Wiegmann that that maybe Daly does and and maybe that, that would win out. But... Oh, who knows? I feel like Wiegmann is just such a manager who I could equally just imagine will get to the World Cup and Rachel Daly will be, be back at left back because it feels like when she's landed on something she likes, she sticks with it. And mm. and maybe that's that's also then on, you know, other players to step up as well because equally like, yeah, Alex Greenwood can play at left back, but she doesn't for City. So it's kind of the same thing there. Neve Charles maybe like could step up, but again, doesn't hasn't got loads of minutes of left back for Chelsea. Like actually has mainly been playing at right back. That was the weird thing about the defence, right? Jess Carter was at centre back when she's been playing at right back. Neve Charles is at left back when she's been playing and then Myla Tessier was so all of that was a bit strange as well. I just feel like players Wiegmann's were very got, much players were very much taken out of their comfort zones yesterday. Well, I think also it, it shows that Wiegmann's got very specific views of how she sees certain players that don't necessarily map on to what we think we see from club football. And ultimately her success kind of shows you're like, well, I'll probably trust like her vision of things, but I think it makes it quite hard to predict as a result. Becky, I know your favourite moment from the Arnold Clark Cup so far involved Neve Charles. I've actually got two. You've got two? <laughs> yeah, okay. Neve, Neve Charles does just edge it. Does edge it. Okay, talk us through what happened in yesterday's I coverage. Saw, I actually missed this live. I must have not been concentrating. I saw it this morning on Twitter. Um, I actually don't know what's happening in the play. <laughs> <laughs> but if there was a she's just trying to tackle and tie. If there was ever a sentence that summarised Becky's views on football, I didn't actually know what was happening I in the play. I, but something funny happened. <laughs> no, don't know what the what football is happening, but um, I don't know, the Italian players pissing her off, obviously, and she goes, oh, you bastard. <laughs> and then Seb Hutchinson apologised for the accent, not for the language. He just said, apologies for the accent you heard there. <laughs> it's, just, it's so clear. She's obviously it's right so by the microphone. And I just love like, that. Like, yeah. yeah. But oh, the other good moment happened the other, before the, the match even kicked good, off. The other good moment, and this is pure Arnold Clark. <laughs> Actually, both so is Arnold Clark, but this is more Arnold Clark than, oh, you bastard. <laughs> is that they, they go before <laughs> the anthems and they're like, and now we stand oh, yes, for the Italian this. national anthem. <laughs> and then Becky Hill starts like, like what's it? La di da 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 da. And then they still don't get it right. And then it goes to do a lipper. And everyone's just like, they should be the national anthem of the <laughs> there, there is nothing that screams women's football more than Becky, Becky Hill, Hill blasting yeah, out on the PA yeah. system. It was so good. And I showed my flatmate that when she came back from getting her nails done. And honestly, she was crying. Tears in her eyes. She I couldn't believe it. love to have been in that room with the person who'd pressed the wrong button. <laughs> because they pressed the wrong button and then they've tried to fix it really quickly and still got it wrong. And I bet they're like, fuck. 
remix Fade to Becky Hill to Dua Lipa to the Italian National Anthem. And what was funny on that clip, which is on the Studs Twitter if you want to see it, is that there's a pause and then you can hear the whole stadium laughing, like canned laughter. It's like, ha! So yeah, iconic Arnold Clark Cup moment. Um, We talked about daily and moving positions and things like that, which... I think brings up a really interesting question because there was a piece that came out over the weekend, a brilliant interview between Crystal Dunn and Emma Carmichael that was on GQ. And Crystal Dunn talked about lots of different things that I want to get into later in the show, various things around the pressure of being a mother and in elite sport, the pressure of being a, a black athlete, especially in the US, and also the pressure of being a women's footballer and all the kind of burdens that comes with that. But there was also a, a really interesting paragraph about being seen as a versatile athlete and how it has its downsides. And she's someone a bit like Rachel Daly who's been moved around when it comes to club and country. And I think people are always expected, and Kate, you'll, you'll definitely be able to kind of give some insight on this. Like players are always expected just to kind of like do a job, right? And whenever you ask Rachel Daly about what she prefers to play, and she gets asked it all the time at every single England camp, she always puts on a brave face and says, you know, it's about the team, I'll do a job, et cetera, et cetera. And yesterday after the game, she said, you know, this is my job as a centre forward. I've got to score goals and this is what I do best. So it's interesting how, you know, you can fall into those modes when you want to. But I think what was really enlightening and and um, so honest about what Crystal Dunn said in this interview, one of many things, is she said, you know, this does take its toll, especially if you're trying to, you know, maximise your talent in a sh- very short career and you've got to constantly move where you are on the pitch and still try and be the best athlete you can and still deliver in the best way you can. And especially hard for her when she obviously took some time away to have a child. And Kate, you've moved about positionally a lot recently, mm-hmm. um, spent some time playing up front for West Ham recently, been playing on the wing. What is it like when you're in that position where you know you've just got to do what your coach asks of you and you know it's important for the team, but how does it feel when it's like, right, Kate, you're not going to be playing in your favourite position where you feel most comfortable and you've got to do this. Like, How does that feel as a player? Yeah, I mean, I can empathise completely because that has been the story of my career, really. Um, <laughs> it, it can actually, it can be a really good thing. You can use it to your advantage because you're on the pitch, which is what we all want to do. And you do want to see your team do well. And if you have to plug a hole or whatever. Um, but it can also lack to a lot of loss of confidence, a lack of identity. Um, you can really question yourself. Am I not good enough in my own position? Um, why just me moving all the time? You know, I get to train and I don't even know what position I'm trying to train in most weeks. Um, that's nothing against the coaches because, you know, that's just how you become as a player. But sometimes it can actually be, you know, everyone laughs about it and says about versatility and sees it as a strength. But also in yourself, you can see that as a weakness because you're not perfecting a certain position to make it your own. Um, also, what happens from a training perspective? Because obviously... For training, most people break it up, right? And they say, right, forwards, defenders, like, where do you go? <laughs> well, sometimes, sometimes I would literally stand on the side of the pitch, say if we're doing a passing drill and it's like 11 a side and there's like 11 mannequins or whatever, sometimes I would literally stand on the side and be like, where do you want me to go? And they'll go, centre mid, right, right wing, centre back. Like when Howard got sent off, I had to play centre back five games in a row. I've never... And you did a good job. Well, <laughs> I don't know about that, but you really like, you know that you're doing a job for the team, but at the same time, I know I'm not performing to my best. I've also never played there in a two. I've played there in a three mm. before, and that's only like last season. 
Um, so you have to draw on a lot of experience, but it can really knock your confidence if if things where, say as a midfielder, I know when I can step in. As a centre-back, there's no one behind you apart from your keeper. So then where you might go and step in, if, okay, if you didn't get there, you've got your defender, you get back into a position. Sometimes you question yourself because you're like, if I step in there, what's behind me? Or if I don't step in there, though, she can turn and run at me, whereas I know I'm I'm better at being aggressive than someone running at me. So it can actually lead to a lot of self-doubt and then you end up like... I don't know, end up on the right wing against Man City because I can do a job defensively and, and whatever. But also, I don't really know what I'm doing out there. So, <laughs> you know, like, so then people, I, I feel like people judge me off looking at me on the right wing. Well, I don't play right wing, mm. but at West Ham, I've played every single position other than the goalkeeper. So, still to come. Still it's, to make come. it happen, Conchesky, this There's season. Still time. So it's, it's, it's hard. Like, you, you do have a lot of self doubt and, you know, and it can ultimately lead to sometimes you then not playing because yeah. other people do well in those positions. You're obviously not an expert in the position you've been in and then all of a sudden you're the one that gets taken out of the team and you're like, okay, so I've done something wrong because I'm doing a job for someone else. So it's, it is hard and the politically correct thing is, yes, you want to do the best for the team, but also this is your career. Like you're getting shipped about. That's Crystal Dunn's career. Like... She's a fantastic player. She's so good going forward, yet she gets all those characteristics taken away from her when she has to be in defence and has to be a world-class player in defence, which I think she is. And it is good that she's versatile, but let her be her. She yeah. scores goals. She makes assists. She's quick. She's aggressive. She's like so intellectually clever. Like she can't do that in defence. You know, she sees things that other players don't see. Let her be the creative player she is. Yeah, amen. And there was an interesting kind of knock-on effect as well of what kind of the off the back of those comments in the lead-up to USA's game against Japan on the weekend because um, Vlatko Alonovsky was asked about it um, and like he sort of spoke about he I think they tried to maybe diffuse some of the impact because I think a lot of fans were obviously like you know this is what we've been crying out for don't waste almost Crystal Dunn's talent. Uh, as a and put her out as a fullback or or a wingback or whatever, but I think they tried to maybe kind of diffuse some of the comments and and sort of say that you know she's an, an amazing athlete all round because I think it it brought maybe some pressure on the coach that has already been existing and brewing and done herself and I think you know she said. I know what my job is and, and I'll do that role well, which is like a, a sort of quote that we see quite typically from any player that's being moved about. Um, Kate, very quickly, if Mackenzie Arnold was sent off and there weren't any subs, would you go and goal? I would, but I know I, know I might I would be questionable at it. it. Who do you think would be the go-to? Do you think it would be you? Who do you think would be the go-to goalie if... I genuinely think I'd be up there. I think maybe <laughs> Lucy Parker. Yeah. Do you think that you like Dag Dagny would put herself in there? She'd love it. Who's and she's tallest? tall. Yeah. Dagny. Do you but think then you need Dagny got, to like, score the goals. <laughs> no one else. Do you think you've got a screw loose enough to go in goal? I actually went in goal once um, for Millwall. Our keeper got sent off. Did you do well? And well, <laughs> here we go. So it was one all. And the first thing I did, I came out and got a catch, and I thought, I've got this. <laughs> Next thing. The ball comes and I think, I'm just going to be that keeper that comes off her line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Came to get it, ran straight into my defender, <laughs> dropped the ball and she just passed it <laughs> in. We drew two all. It went to penalties and I saved a penalty <gasps> in the penalty joking. shootout. And we won 5-4 on penalties. Oh my God. Oh. 
Oh, so, but I saved the first penalty and, the, and I thought, oh my God, I've, I've <laughs> <Again>. cracked this. <laughs> the other four, I don't even know if I dived. I was so like nowhere near. But was we it, won 5-4 on penalties. What was the adrenaline rush when you saved that pen? I bet that felt so good. Like, it was, but it was also the first penalty. So I was kind of like, <laughs> but I thought, yeah, it's not over. But I did think, oh, this is quite easy, isn't Have it? You, you never played in goal since? No, never. Love that. I what wish there was footage of that. I would, yeah. I'd love to see you do it again. Yeah. Well, well you know, I don't want, like, Mackenzie for me is like one of the best keepers in the league. We need her but in goal. Mackenzie's played outfield, so maybe she should have She swapped. has. <laughs> <laughs> just have a quick switch up. We'll try it. FA Cup, you know, Aston Villa next. Why not? Why not? Is there five subs in WSL as well? Yeah, yeah, at the moment, yeah. I couldn't remember, but I thought so. That has killed it. I know. It's yeah. very you're unlikely. Never gonna get if you've made your three subs and then. No, what's more likely in the WSL is no, that you're all sweet. Injured, don't like, have a yeah, keeper exactly. on the bench. George Samway yeah. yeah, yeah, was, was wearing more, the yeah. City keeper kit on the bench. It, it's much more like in, <laughs> in the WSL that you've got like a 14 year old from the academy you, on the bench. George yeah. Samway is not tall enough to be a keeper. Why would you do that? Because she's got the Because she's mad and you need. I think she'd be really good. Let's get a little bit more into the She Believes Cup and the US Women's National Team and Canada next. Right, so for the USA and the She Believes Cup, it's also two wins from two games. Mallory Swanson, aka Mal Pugh, marriage rebrand. It actually makes you not only think of Ron Swanson every time I see her name. <laughs> Guys. I didn't know that that's you who it was. Like a new player. A new player. <laughs> really, Swanson's doing great. It really takes you by I, surprise. I, I, doesn't saw, it? I saw the daughter. tweets and I was like, Oh, they found another player. <laughs> they crazy. Who is this? Great. They just the USA man. They just keep finding these players, <laughs> don't they? Uh, she's in unbelievable form. Six goals in four games. She scored all of the USA's goals in the she believes. So a good time to find form. But Jesse, I f- still feel like even with these okay results, J- the Japan game wasn't exactly you know a-, a stormer. But it feels like the general vibes are still from fans and journalists that in the lead up to the World Cup, USA are still not where they'd like to be. And usually we're used to them going gung-ho, being so hyped, so excited for this World Cup. But it feels like the general atmosphere around the team right now is pretty flat. I think that was probably always going to be the case, though, in terms of where this US national team squad is. Like, there was always going to be this kind of transition period. And there are lots of very good players in that team but I think until you because obviously there is like the gold cup is that what they mm-hmm. they played in but like I feel like people don't take it quite as seriously as say we take the Euros so they're kind of stuck on this thing where you have to wait for a World Cup cycle to really feel like you judge them and I think obviously like performances haven't been what people expected and clearly I don't think Vlatko has the same impact on this team that Jill Ellis had but I feel like until we get to the World Cup, I don't know, you could still see them going to the World Cup and winning, no? Well, that's even what if I it's wanted just to not ask as, you. Like, Do you think flowing. they're still a contender, even with... I just don't think you can write that team off. Like, you look at the amount of, of quality that's there, um, and, like, even we saw in the game against England, right? Like, you switch off for one second and that's it. Bam, they've scored. And it's not... They're not an easy team to, like, get goals against anyway. I do think the Crystal Dunn thing is weird because I would say the the problem they have is that their midfield is like nothing like it doesn't exist really (laughs) Um, and I think that's where I would worry for them but I mean they they're a very 
there's lots of very, very good players in that team. And there's lots of players with experience of, of winning at the highest level. And I think, um, yeah, I wouldn't write that off anytime soon. But when does the transition tag become too old? And when do you kind of... Because I feel like... But this is what I mean. Because of the US's calendar, you don't get this like every two years cycle, I think, the way you do in Europe. So I feel like if they do fuck up the World Cup, that will be the point where you're like, well, they had four years to kind of transition through. But until they play the World Cup, I feel like I can't say whether they've But even with the it. Olympics, but I suppose since then, quite a bit has but changed. Again, and but. also, well, and I mean, it's a fair enough complaint, but Vlatko took a load of old players to the Olympics. Like, I think we, we all think that was a dumb move now and he shouldn't have done that. But, you know, that happened. And I think that that, that was like almost the turning point where he was like, I do have to bring players through. And there's players still to come back, you know, like, Kat Macario was the best, in my opinion, like American player last year, pre-ACL. And she should be back for the World Cup. And that will make a massive difference to that side, I think. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how things go in the lead up to the tournament this summer. Um, but we've also got to talk about Canada at the She Believes Cup because USA did beat them 2-0. But it wasn't necessarily surprising given everything that's going on with Canada Canada right now and there was a good kind of show of support pre-match and England joined in on that as well in their game against Italy. Canada wearing these purple t-shirts, USA wearing these purple sort of strapping, um, showing support for Canada's fight for not even like I saw BBC write a story saying pay equity. It's not even about that. It's just actual rights. It's just fighting for the bare basics in terms of support, funding, resource and, you know, what Jesse Fleming talks about and just fighting against bad governance at the Federation um, with, you know, the whole team came out in these T-shirts saying enough is enough. But I wanted to go back to that Crystal Dunn interview because in that, Emma Carmichael touches on a very important point, which Dunn kind of reflects on, which is the expectation on footballers in women's football to take on a burden that is so much more than just playing and being an athlete. And Jilly spoke about this when we touched on the Canada situation in last week's show, which is, you know, a situation that that they had at, at West Ham a few years ago when they, you know, were considering going on strike around, around kind of like working conditions. And in the GQ piece... Uh, Carmichael touches on the fact that you know, there is so much pressure on these players and the US Women's National Team especially have taken on that and it takes its toll when you're fighting for so much more than just yourselves. You're fighting for the generations that are coming after you because you're expected to not just be an athlete. You've got to be a union rep. You've got to be a businesswoman. You've got to be hot on your numbers. And yes, some of these people did go to college and get degrees, but they are by no means like professional union workers. But they're expected to take on this battle. And I think the pressure does take its toll and I think also the media pushes that too far as well prime example Alex Greenwood Serena Wiegmann sitting at their, their press oh. conference before and being asked about Tiger, Wood and, Tiger Woods and tampons like yes we, we, we put our athletes on uh, you know we have ridiculous expectations of who they are and what they're doing just for gender equality general which I think is often unnecessary and then sometimes we see them make amazing structural societal changes which are so important but Kate, having played the game so long as well, like you must be able to relate to some of this, the toll that it takes always being seen as like, you know, role models, if, as it were, or, or, or change makers when sometimes you just want to play football. Yeah, that's why you started playing football. Um, I feel like you don't need an opinion on absolutely everything. You've got to kind of like <laughs> pick and choose 
what you're passionate about. So if you're passionate about diversity, equality, things like that, you can have an opinion on that and try and make that matter. I think when you're getting asked about tampons, <laughs> like that's obviously a practical joke within them, but people will have the opinion of that's not funny because it's degrading to women. And some people will just have the opinion of that's okay. Like, why does Alex Green would yeah, need to answer that? No, exactly. It's... And she's probably been debriefed it because I didn't even know it happened until I saw that their clip. interview. Mm. She probably doesn't know it's happened. So she's probably been debriefed. You're going to get asked this question, say the, the correct thing to back women. Like, she might have the opinion that it's just banter and that's okay. Like, everyone's entitled to their opinions. Um, so I think it's trying to pick and choose and not have everything weighted down on you. But then I know that sometimes in the media you can get asked just stupid, monotonous questions where you're just like, why do I need to be involved in this? You just want to play football. But then there are things like the whole Canada situation. Okay, maybe we need some other players speaking from their experience to back up what the Canada players are going going through. Um, but yeah, for me, I just want an easy life, to be honest. Like... <laughs> <laughs> you, you want you want to be able to focus on your football, but also don't you want, we all get it? Don't we all? But you want to you want to help the next generations, of course. Like when I think of when I started playing football, I literally did not know one player's name. I didn't know. I didn't even know women's football was a thing. I just enjoyed playing it. And so now you look at where it is, the backing that it's getting. Of course, we want to put the future. Um, players in a better position so yes like we do have responsibility and unfortunately that comes with the job but um, listen I think I do get it quite easy I think some players especially if you're in the national team you do have to have an answer for everything and an opinion on everything so um, yeah it is important that we set up the future and try and help them as much as we can but you also just want to focus on the football sometimes I think sometimes they must get exhausted about some of the things that they're asked and well, I know I think... a lot of the time it's not even the reporter that's in the room's question that they want to ask it's the producer mm. and editor down the line that's like please can you ask this question it... and you're like please no I don't I want to do it that's why it's annoying though as well because it often feels like it comes up even more in women's football because like people can't be bothered to research what they could find an interesting question and it's just like people in sports media which is like what's the like what's the main story that could relate to women in some ways we'll just ask that because we don't actually like have anyone who's come up with an interesting question that would relate <laughs> to the football game that's what's like extra annoying with me because i'm like there are people who could ask interesting questions and you're just wasting everyone's time yeah agreed agreed um obviously we hope that canada makes some progress on frustrating talks that seem to have gone nowhere so far and the whole team look absolutely exhausted and drained as you would be from this and in the lead up to a very important tournament with players that want to focus on the football and want to deliver for their country and you know try their best to be prepared for a major tournament just aren't getting that support so hopefully we'll see some progress there but it's obviously difficult to watch I also want to quickly touch on the Matildas Jesse because they beat Spain 3-2 it was just classic chaotic Matildas energy they were 3-0 up I think by half time by half time and then conceded two <laughs> goals it's just so classic They just Tony Gustafsson just brings the vibes it's I really love it. no, like vibes no defence completely um, but I want to obviously a, a good win for the Matildas but I think it was a sort of win which is very much their brand right now they'll probably follow that up with like a nil-nil draw but I want to focus on Spain really because Jorge Vilda is constantly under pressure 
the issues around the Spanish national team haven't really gone away. Some players are back playing, some players are not. There is still pressure on that head coach. Majority of the fans, it seems, want him gone. He signed a new contract uh, or just before the Euros or after the Euros, can't remember. But is this going to potentially lead to his departure or is this man absolutely bulletproof? No, I don't think Jorge Wild is going anywhere at all. I think, if anything, the players will come back. I think All the, of them. The writing on the wall, well, yeah. Supposedly what will happen is that the vast majority of them will come back. I mean, the really interesting one will be Alexia, right? So, you know, she's getting back to training. Seems like she'll probably be fit by the end of March. There's, what, an international break in April? Um, obviously, you would assume, even though she hasn't said anything, that she would be politically aligned with the 15 players who've refused to play. Um, and equally, even if they do come back, it'll be interesting to see if Filder calls them up because... Irena Paredes, who was the captain, who kind of started the whole thing by trying to have a conversation with Vilda. She never signed the letter and she hasn't been called up like since any of that happened. Um, so, yeah, but Vilda's not not going anywhere anytime soon. And I've just got to shout out the Matildas because I think you're doing them a bit dirty. Because I think Sorry. they've been really good this international break. And Mackenzie Arnold had a great game she as well. Did. She did. She had a really, really good game. Um, and I think it's exciting for Australia because... They're scoring goals without Sam Kerr scoring goals. And I think that's a very, very big thing. And Courtney Vine scored that unbelievable. That whole well. game was a, a game of bangers, to be fair. Yeah, Olga Carmona's as well yeah. was. Whew. Yeah, so sorry, I'm doing them dirty. But they're just so chaotic. I feel like you can never read much into their results because I still don't trust them to really do it when it matters because they just, they love playing at home at the moment. The crowds are amazing in the lead up to the World Cup, as they would be. So they they do love performing on that home stage, but I'm still like, I don't trust them at Just all. wait until and in that they get that chaotic win against England at Brentford and it'll be Serena <laughs> Beacon's first defeat. I'm going to remember this and they're going to win the World Cup and I'm just going to bring Ooh. up Flo's bad take when they <laughs> do. Log that. Yeah, I've logged it. It's just log that. Um, I did want to make a Mean Girls joke, uh, <laughs> but I forgot it, so I'm just going to do it now. Um, the limit does not exist for Jorge Vilda. There you go. There's the Mean Girls joke. <laughs> Love it. Um, I think that's all we got time for today. Um, we will be back on Thursday with a little culture pod and obviously back on Monday where we'll touch on FA Cup and also the last of the Arnold Clark Cup and some of those other tournaments that have been going on. Thank you to everyone that listened to the Valentine's Day app and sent in their thoughts. We had some lovely messages, didn't we? We did. It was very cute. It was very wholesome. It made me feel very warm in my heart <laughs> yeah because you were uh, especially especially the Barcelona story that was a real fan favourite yeah so thanks everyone yeah <laughs> Becky felt very validated I even had someone message me about a dream that they had about going to Barcelona or going to watch football and having a gay awakening so wow. I was like wow this we are powerful we are really getting yeah. people we are powerful <laughs> getting in people's dreams <laughs> Oh, I actually texted you guys today about that dream I had about yeah, John no Travolta and no one replied. <laughs> guys, it was too early to think about you dreaming about being chased it by John Travolta's so ghost. It was so weird. It was such a weird dream. Yeah, I've, I'm having really strange dreams at the moment, actually. I don't know if I'm eating something that's kind of making me go a bit mad, but yeah. Shout out to anyone else that's having weird dreams. <laughs> anyway, that's it for today. We'll be back on Thursday and uh, back on Monday as well. We'll see you all soon. <laughs> 